I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today, our guest is Dr. Ingrid Wicker McCree. For the past 13 years, she's been the director of athletics at North Carolina Central University. She transitioned the university from Division II to Division I. But she's also coached volleyball, softball, been a compliance director. So, Ingrid, if you could share with our listeners a little about your sports administration journey. So, well, thank you, first of all, for allowing me to, to be here and sharing. I think this is the best way to help prepare our future uh, leaders in this industry. And, and we need you. So just keep making sure that you're doing the things and being intentional about learning um, as much as you can. Um, well, a little bit about the sports administration journey. It has been 30 years that I've been in, in intercollegiate athletics, um, but I really started off uh, as a coach. And so when I was at North Carolina A&T as the head coach of women's volleyball, um, I shared with the then athletic director, Dr. Willie Burden, um, that I wanted to get into administration somehow. And so he saw an, an opportunity for me to help and assist with our academic support unit there. And so I became the study hall monitor. And I believe I Scott Hall, maybe it was not Scott Hall, it was over there by the library. And so I monitored the student athletes in their study hall. Um, I also was able to participate in writing a manual on academic support um, for the department. And so that's really the first administrative type of uh, position that I had. Um, then fast forward a couple of years later, when I came to North Carolina Central University, I was a head women's volleyball and softball coach teaching. And um, eventually, about two years, three years later, I had the opportunity to start working with some compliance um, opportunities. And then when the SWA, then SWA left, I inherited those um, responsibilities full time in addition to still coaching and teaching. Uh, And then just over the years, I've worked for six athletic directors here at North Carolina Central, and each one gave me more responsibility on the administrative side. So it was a very unique journey uh, to this seat uh, because I had the opportunity to serve as a coach and an administrator at the same time. So my empathy skills for coaches and for administrators, I was always kind of in the middle. And so um, in understanding both sides. And so I think that was a, a, a huge asset um, to my the success and, and where I am today. Uh, my predecessor decided to leave um, NCCU and go to FAMU. Um, and I did not want to go to, to Tallahassee at that time with them. And so I stayed. I served as an interim 
athletic director. And about after probably about six months um, in doing the job and having some really good support around me, I said, hey, I can do this. And so I applied for the position and I was afforded the opportunity uh, by Dr. Charlie Nams, the then chancellor, um, to become the athletic director. So that's the short version. (laughs) Now, you mentioned um, working for the president. How many presidents or chancellors, rather, have you worked for at NCCU? Wow. So a combination of interim and permanent. Uh, It has been seven since I started in 1994, but it has been four since I've sat in this seat for the last 13, 13 years. So students and young professionals, I need you to take note of that. She has been able to remain in the seat, even though those who supervise her have consistently changed. And that is unusual. How have you stayed in that seat for so long? You know, um, and that's a that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. That'd be a great research study in terms of what what are the uh, the variables that lend to um, athletic directors being in a seat ten years or more. So just keep that as an aside. But um, I think that, and I just shared this with my staff, my head coaches and senior staff yesterday, and I told them I know there's some anxiety about the change in leadership that's going to occur soon uh, with my position. And many of them have never worked for more than anyone but me. Um, And so I shared with them, you have to be focused. You have to be transparent. You have to be confident in your abilities. But the most important thing is making sure that they understand that you're here. We're here for the students. Um, And I think throughout the four different leaders and all of them come in with their different priorities. um, And in terms of where athletics sits on that, the totem pole, but as long as they understand that you are here for the students, you're going to work and you're going to do your job and that you're a good team player. Um, Leaders like for their teams, team members to be very resourceful. And so I've played upon the fact that I've been here for so long. I do have a historical perspective and not just on athletics, but on academic side, on the financial aid side, student affairs. And so as much as you can, to make sure that you know, you share that how valuable of an asset you can be, but then you just, you stay honest, you stay true to why you're there. Now, your first big chair was as a head coach. What did you learn in that seat that helped prepare you for the athletic director seat? Wow. So dealing with 18 to 22 year olds is quite different from dealing with grown adults, (laughs) grown folks, as we say, Um, but they teach you patience. And I can only imagine our coaches today, and I thank them all, how much more patience they have to have with this brilliant generation of new student athletes. But it does teach you patience. It teaches you creativity, how to be innovative, because of course, here at North Carolina Central, we're a limited resource. So even if you can imagine 20-something years ago when I was coaching, we had even fewer resources. So you want them to have the same experience as the the volleyball student-athletes at Duke or Carolina. So it really teaches you how to think outside the box to create that same experience that those student-athletes are receiving at the larger schools. Um, It also teaches you a lot about just people because you're dealing with not just the, the student but their parents. 
you know, and their families and their friends and their significant others. And so you do learn, um, and I, again, I say this one word, to be more empathetic. And it teaches you that. So, and you have to be flexible. You have to be resourceful. It taught me, you know, I have to stay up with the times so I can know what they're talking about. Um, and I didn't have, you know, children at that time early on in my coaching career. And so I, I learned a lot. And then after I did have kids, I reflected on that to say, wow, you know, I think they helped me even with my kids uh, when it came time to become a mom. Now, there was a time when you were an administrator, a professor, and a doctoral student all at the same time. How did you successfully juggle all of those positions? Well, uh, I ask myself that all the time. So I'm a very planned person in terms of, well, I feel that I'm a very planned person. Um, I have lists and lists and lists. And every day I, I wake up, Whatever time that is, I'm already making a list of things that I want to accomplish that day. Now, nine times out of 10, the list does not ever all get accomplished, but the feeling of crossing things out <laughs> is over. I mean, it's just, it just makes you feel like you have accomplished things. And so putting it in black and white. So I really had to look at, okay, here's the things that I have to do for work. Here's the things I have to do for my PhD, my, my EDD. Um, Here's the things I have to do with the team. So you really, I really have to segment those out. And then what are the priorities for each of those? And then keep that in front of me in black and white. Um, and honestly, that's pretty much how I got through all of that. But also to just the desire. You know, when you want something and you want to get something done, you'll figure out a way. And so um, for me, my study time was between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, and fortunately, I am very wired in a very uh, multitask way um, in work ethic. My father is 81 years old and still doing appraisals. He's a real estate appraiser and has more work than you can imagine. But he, his energy um, and work ethic from both of my parents, but especially the energy level. I get that just honestly, just naturally. You've hired coaches and administrators. What three skills do you look for when you're adding young professionals to your staff? So definitely I look at how resourceful they are in terms of in, in some in manner, in terms of how, what they're going to bring to the table and do they know how to do that? Um, and so I'm always telling young professionals, just be resourceful. Um, the second thing would be communication skills, definitely listening, verbal and written communication skills, um, especially in this day of technology and uh, working from home, uh, you know, remote working, you have to be able to have great uh, writing and communication skills because you're not going to always be in front of someone. Um, the, uh, the third thing would be, you know, emotional intelligence, empathy skills, and making sure that they understand how to make the best decisions. Um, I do ask them to give me some examples, you know, of, of their interactions with student athletes, their interaction with custodial staff, you know, how do they communicate with everyone? Um, I look for 
people who are high in, you know, integrity and kindness, respect. Those are not so much, you know, skills, but personality traits, but those are so important today. Um, but I would say definitely their communication skills, patience, um, patience is another, <laughs> you know, and it's hard to measure. Some of these things are really hard to measure. And that's why I think people are getting so much more creative in the interview process with regards to the questions that they ask. Um, some are asked to take tests, you know, knowledge tests and personality tests. Um, so you see it, the, the world of talent acquisition is changing. And so we all have to move with that. But for me, um, the interpersonal skills with the communication skills, resourcefulness, uh, empathy skills, those are very, very high on my list. And of course, I'm going to look for success. If they're a coach, I'm going to look for their winning success. Uh, I'm going to look at who they've worked for. You know, that's very, very important. Who have you learned from? Uh, in the good and the bad. You learn from both types of leaders. And so um, that's very important who they've worked for. Um, and so those are some of the things that I look for, uh, especially in a coach. Now, mental health has come to the forefront recently. What do you see as the role of the athletic director in regards to the mental health of their student athletes? Well, definitely it starts it, it starts at the top, you know, in terms of it's, it has to be important to the athletic director. Um, and then what do they do? Not only just say in, in charging one of the staff members with developing, you know, in your sports performance area, you know, developing in mental health awareness and uh, programming, um, making sure that you have the resources, but it has to start at the top. So, for example, um, I use our Teamworks app send messages to student athletes all the time. And it's just random messages of encouragement, you know, um, or when our student athletes have surgeries. And those are sometimes our student athletes who really get disconnected to the programs. And it's not so much of the physical aspect of what they had to go through. It's the mental disconnection. Um, and so I call every student athlete that had, when they have their surgery, I call just to say, hey, thinking about you, you know, here's some resources. If you need any, um, please take advantage of them. And I think really um, what sticks out is, is this pandemic. You know, this has really uh, heightened the awareness of mental health and wellness with our student athletes. And so going through and seeing some of our teams, I think men's basketball was in isolation and quarantine 52 days last year. Um, and they're not at home. You know, if we had to quarantine. We were at home and we had our house. We could roam around, go sit on the back porch. Our students were put in a dorm room. <laughs> And that's it for 14 days. And so I would send the, the student athletes who were in uh, isolation and quarantine, I would send them corny jokes throughout the week, you know, just to let them know we're there. Um, so I think it starts at the top and anything that that athletic director can do to show that they're leading the way to make sure the student athletes know this is extremely important to that person, then I think it, they understand. And then everyone else falls in line with, Yes, this is very, very important to us. And we need to make sure that we are addressing it appropriately. Now, the hot topic right now is name, image, and likeness. Do you see any potential issues that that can cause for university athletic departments? So one good thing about my past and my pathway here is it went through compliance. <laughs> so anything that I'm on D1 Council, and so some of the things that we're doing and looking at and passing 
you know, um, it's, it's challenging, you know, from as a former compliance administrator. And this, the name, image, and likeness, while I think it is amazing, it is wonderful um, for our student athletes in terms of just the opportunity to become entrepreneurs and to sell their brand and, and, and really um, learn a, a different skill. You know, I always thought that every major should have some type of business class orientation or professional development class where it talks about how do you take your major and make it into your own business. And so um, I'm in I'm in favor of it. However, yes, I just read in the D1 ticker the other day that there are some potential violations uh, looming out there more from a recruiting perspective, because if you think about it, I can go to this school and have more opportunities for NIL than if I go over to this school. And so it really is just making the, the you know, the parity is less parity when it comes to NIL. But uh, so schools have to be very creative. You know, here we've asked the student athletes, if you're interested, you know, you need to put all your social media um, uh, links on your page in terms of our website, because, of course, we cannot help manage or bring business to that student athletes. So the best way is for them to have access through our website. So now if a company wants to partner with them, they can just go to their their Twitter link or their Instagram or Instagram link and things like that. So I do think that there are probably some very gray areas with regards to how these student athletes are getting some of their opportunities. Um, and I think that's an area that the, the NCAA is going to really have to figure out how to um, monitor that, as well as the recruiting. So if I'm a coach and I'm saying, well, 10 of my student athletes are all getting $5,000 from you know X mortgage company, you should come here. But if you go to North Carolina Central, they only have two people, two student athletes that have taken advantage of it. So there's going to be some issues. Now, you mentioned that you sit on the D1 Council. Tell our listeners what that is. So the D- Division One Council is uh, basically about the second or third level of management for all of Division One. So you have your Board of Governors, your Board of Directors, and now the Division One Council. It is made up about 64 individuals and, and their athletic directors, senior women administrators, and uh, conference, conference uh, commissioners. And so we are the official body in terms of where all legislation runs through for Division One. And once we approve legislation, it then goes to the Board of Directors for final approval. So we are really the decision-making legislative body um, management for Division One. And what is a senior woman administrator? Senior woman administrator is the senior most female, a woman, um, in administration in any athletics program. Uh, They can have varying duties and responsibilities along with that appointment. Um, But it's pretty much to ensure that there is a woman in the senior level, um, in a senior level position in any in every NCAA Division One, Two, and Three, all eleven hundred plus um, departments. Now I want to talk about two bad words: comp tickets. Comp. <laughs> what advice can you give to young professionals about the disadvantages of comp tickets? A lot of them want to get into sports administration so they can get comp tickets and give comp tickets. What's the downside of that? Oh, period. One word. 
money. You know, I mean, when you give out comp tickets, that's a that's a ticket that could have been sold. That's a seat that could have been sold. Now, um, it's very challenging, uh, and especially when you're from the town that you grew up in and you work at that university. Everybody, you know, from elementary school, <laughs> you know, so it's it's challenging for me. I will put that out there. My team, uh, they hate it. I have downsides over the years <laughs> with the number of comp tickets I've given out. But at the end of the day, that's 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 money. That's a that's a ticket that could have been sold. And so, um, of course, you're going to have to have your student athletes and their guests, the bands. Um, but you really should focus on the comp tickets, on those opportunities to uh, engage donors prospective donors, prospective corporate sponsors um, to, to come to your, your campus and have a good experience. So that's what they really should be for outside of the student athletes um, where they get, you know, two, two to four anyway. But you should try to keep that in mind. And then when you're saying no, just reiterate that, hey, every ticket that we sell goes to student athletes well-being in their experience. So I'm not the good model for comp tickets, but. <laughs> and uh, Ingrid actually works in the same city where she grew up and where her parents are. So comp tickets have really been a challenge. There are going to be some really um, sad folks <laughs> after May when it comes to getting into our games and, and it has been challenging. Both my parents are alums here. And so that even just makes it more. I get their, their friends. Well, your dad told me to call you. I'm like, oh. Now, there's never enough money in the budget. What do young professionals need to understand about both fundraising and friendraising? So they go hand in hand. Um, and someone just called me the other day, a search firm about some potential candidates for another job. And they're saying that the school, the president wants a fundraiser, you know, someone who has a lot of experience. And my, my comment to that is my response to that is you have to have great interpersonal skills, whether you're doing, you know, for fundraising and it starts, if you have great interpersonal skills and that becomes a fundraising aspect of it. Um, and so, and I think the friend raising is a, you know, a softer way of looking at fundraising because when people think about fundraising, you know, they kind of get, well, I don't, I haven't done that, you know, and I don't know how, what that is. And so if you look at it as you're developing friendships and relationships, and the goal is to support the student athletes, um, I think start, but your interpersonal skills have to be on point. Um, because you're trying to get people to buy in to understanding why it's so important for student athletes to, you know, to have that support. And so I think about the friend raising and the end goal or end product is the fundraising aspect. But it's not to be feared. It is, it is so much fun <laughs> to do, especially, again, if you have those skills and you love um, engaging people. You know, finding those things that that person has in common that you can talk about that leads into, you know, what their affinity is for. 
You know, is it for women's basketball? Is it for golf? Um, what do you have in common even at the, in, at the start of the, the conversation? I started playing golf when I came into this seat um, because I know that's where a lot of business is done. And now I love golf, but for me to be in a space where um, I'm in a, with a group of men at a country club and I can, I can talk about golf. You know, I can understand what they're, what they're talking about. And so that makes it more advantageous for me um, to be able to get into their space and then to begin talking about North Carolina Central University. Now, why is it important for an athletic director to be active in the local community? Oh, wow. You know, you start, you have to start branding your department, your university, first of all, as early as possible, but as, as many places as possible. And so if you're out there in the community, now you're able to tell the story, you know, and that's a lot of it is, is marketing, is telling the story of our, our amazing student athletes, telling the story of the historical, you know, value of North Carolina Central or wherever you are. And so if you're not out there engaging with every with people that are not, uh, not, people that are outside of your campus, outside of your scope and range, then you, what, how, who are you going to tell your story to? So, um, so it's important that you're engaged with um, uh, civic groups, you know, Rotary, JCs, uh, you're engaged in, in all kinds of organizations in the community. You're doing community service. You know, I just told our student athletes during our graduation reception that, hey, don't take for granted, you know, the community service requirement that you had. And all of our students have a 120-hour requirement before they graduate. But think about the people that you met during that service project, you know, how, how the impact that you made on their lives, but they also made an impact on you. And so you just never know who you're going to meet, who can help you if you're not out in the community engaging with the people that support that local community. And so it's very, very important that the athletic director uh, leads that way and models the way for all of their staff um, and student athletes. Now, what is the one thing you wish you knew before you got in that athletic director chair? <sighs> Managing people more. You know, you manage when you're a coach, you're managing student athletes. And I've seen even as we've been evolved here and gone from 25 full-time members to 83, and everyone now has people under them that um, really leadership and management are two very different concepts. Um, and I, you know, learned about that in, in all of my studies, but to really now have seen that, that the management of people is so important to this job. And that if I had more, more training on in, in the HR area, you know, on, you know, how do you make sure you're writing the best evaluation? What evaluation tools should you use to make sure that everyone is on the same page with expectations um, in their jobs? So I would say definitely more knowledge about managing people. I think it came easy for me because I, I'm just a people person. 
But for someone that's not as much of a people person, learning more about management, learning more about HR policies, procedures, um, laws in HR, I think that would be extremely beneficial. And so you see that with, with athletic directors or administrators who have masters in public administration, because in that curriculum, they do, they have to take courses on HR and HR policies and things like that. And right now I'm actually doing certificates um, in the HR space just to learn, you know, more about the, the laws and regulations um, and the historical perspective of all of that. Now, what has been your biggest mistake or challenge and how did you overcome it? So in in this seat, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to have more challenges than mistakes. Uh, but I would say probably the biggest comes has come through hirings of few people that probably should not have been hired. Um, and that's going to happen because you can't, you know, what you have on paper and then what's before you sometimes can be very different. Um, and so unless you're, you know, you can have personality tests done, done for every candidate, um, you're just going to hit or miss. And so when I have missed in those areas in terms of in coaching and in our administrative hires, the only thing that you can do is you have to be very clear on the expectations. You have to say, here are the things that I need you to do. Here's what you've missed. Here's what you've done well. But this right here, right now, I need you to do this. And I give them opportunities. And once that opportunity, you know, we get to a, if it's six months, if it's a year, and we have not checked all those boxes, then we have to go in a different direction. But I, I for me, I think I give people opportunity to succeed regardless of um, their shortcomings. But I would say I've made some mistakes in, in decision-making of uh, in a few coaches and administrators, but um, just really trying to make sure that they, we are very clear together on what the expectations are. And I'm very transparent. You know, I, I don't want to lie or sugarcoat. And so when I've had to deal with those individuals, you know, I've just told them straight up and then I put it in writing. So that is very, very clear um, before we move forward. Now, nothing in life is free. What sacrifices do young professionals need to be aware of that they may have to make in order to progress in this field? Uh, sleep. <laughs> Money, um, in terms of you're not always going to get the salary that you want in the beginning. So you have to be willing to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented before you. Um, I left a job in Raleigh before I took the head coaching job at A&T, making, and I know, don't laugh, 30-something thousand dollars then. And the job at A&T was 17000 But I had to get in somewhere. So you're going to have to make some sacrifices financially. Um, and then relationship wise, you know, you, you may have to make sacrifices because not all the time your friends, your family, your significant others are going to understand what you're trying to do and the responsibility that you have um, in your role in athletics. And so those are some things that you're going to have to sacrifice. Um, I would say for me, 
I probably sacrificed a lot of time that was spent here Central or with my teams when I was coaching um, that I was not able to spend with my family. And even, even being here in Durham with my parents right here, um, there's some time, there's a lot of time that, you know, my brother has had to take, you know, over and do some things for me um, because I could not do that. So just know that you're going to have to give a lot of time, a lot of energy. You're going to lose some sleep. <laughs> um, and financially, it may not be where you want to be at that time, but just keep keep moving forward and know that eventually you'll get to where you want to be. Now it's overtime. Just get some quick answers. What book do you suggest expiring sports administrators read? Um, so many out there. I would say Debbie Yao gave me a book. It was called The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey Jr. Um, that is just amazing. And I, I actually did gave that to every one of my staff members. And you know, uh, from the past, I'm always giving out books and making assignments. Yes, and she I'm- does. She gave us reading <laughs> reports when I worked for her. You'd have a book to read over the summer. And when we came to staff <laughs> retreat, she wanted to discuss it. <laughs> In any book by John Gordon, um, I think those books are very, very simple to read. Um, the stories are amazing, but the lessons that they teach at the end um, or teach throughout the book are great. And so any John Gordon books and um, Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey. What's been your best day in the big chair? Wow. I believe winning our first uh, men's basketball championship and our <laughs> football championship as a new Division One school. <laughs> And what's been the worst day in the big chair? The absolute, my absolute worst day um, was last February when I had to sit before about 43 young men and coaches to let them know that we were discontinuing their sport. Um, And I will say, hands down, that is the worst day in my 14 year, 13 and a half year career sitting in this seat. What is your go-to inspirational quote? So um, my mom told me a long time ago, and I believe this is what she lived and believed in in terms of how she raised my brother, me and my brother. But uh, you are as broad or as narrow as your experiences. Okay. That is my (laughs) go-to. And what is a motivational movie that you suggest young professionals watch? I watch so many movies, but most of them are Marvel comic movies and things like that. So, and they're motivational too. But I would say, um, especially being at a university where this champion and legend went to school, but remember the Titans. Uh, Herman Eichbaum was was an NCCU student and um, just remarkable career. And the lessons that that movie tells us about, you know, discrimination, you know, challenges in terms of being a new leader and getting the buy-in from those student athletes, um, fighting the system. So that is that would be one of the top ones. Now, another one would be um, 12 O'Clock High 
but I doubt anyone, <laughs> any young person would want to watch this black and white movie. But um, that that is an, another great leadership movie. And when I worked on her staff, she also <laughs> made us watch that movie <laughs> and discuss it in a team meeting. <laughs> And the whole thing is black and white, and a lot of it has no dialogue. <laughs> but at the end, it is a good movie. <laughs> you mentioned May earlier. Tell our listeners what's going to happen in May of 2022. So May 2022, my contract it ends with the university. Um, I have talked about this over the last four years, actually had a t-shirt made that said hashtag four more years. So when my youngest daughter, Sydney, um, entered high school, I only needed four years to become, uh, to get my 30 years of state service in the state of North Carolina. And so um, come May, 2022, I will be leaving North Carolina Central University um, and will be embarking upon something new. Uh, I don't know what that all looks like right now, but I'm excited. Uh, my daughter is going to be going to going to uh, Norfolk State University to play volleyball. So I know that is one item on my list of things I'll do next fall. Um, but I'm looking forward to, you know, a new opportunity. Um, you never think about and, and another thing in this job, too, you get so um, bogged down. You don't think about your, you lose yourself sometimes. And because it's always about everyone else is always about the student athletes and the university and your coaches. And so never realize all the things that I have acquired, the skills that I've acquired while being here and how they can um, expand into other opportunities. And so now I'm having fun doing that. But my my time at North Carolina Essential will come to an end May 2022. Tell our listeners how they can follow you on social media and keep in touch with what you're doing. So my Twitter page is at female AD underscore AD and uh, Facebook is just Ingrid Wicker McCree. I'm getting all, I do have an Instagram page. Uh, you would ask me that and I would not know right now, but I am on Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. We'll, we'll we'll add it um, online <laughs> when we list your name. For yes, the and then my um, my consulting firm will be up and running by February one. In terms of it is WM Leadership and Legacy Coaching LLC, and I do have a website, and that is the website name. So say that again so they can get it. It's WM Leadership and Legacy Coaching. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you poured a lot into a lot of student athletes at North Carolina Central University over the last 27 years. Um, not many people work at one institution for that long. And in addition to that, you uh, were a wife, a mother, a daughter, and a sister. So I thank you for taking the time out to pour into so many young professionals because the one thing that Ingrid has always done is bring in students who want to work in sports administration. If they let her know that they had 
a desire to work in sports administration, she would find something for them to do. She would find a way for them to volunteer. She would find a way for them to be around the teams. And many of them then became employees and now have gone on to be administrators at many universities around the country. So do you have any parting advice for our listeners? I would just say always what I share with my student athletes the other day, be kind, be respectful of everyone from the custodian up to the chancellor. You never know who is going to be called. People call off reference lists um, to ask about your character. So you be kind and respectful to everyone. Um, and I've lived by this, this mantra of killing with kindness. It is so much more and easier to deal with with people when you listen and let them have their say. You don't always have to agree and do what they're asking you to do, but they will never say that you did not listen and people appreciate when you listen. So um, take advantage of every opportunity that is, you know, not every, but take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you that allow you to be intentional in your pathway um, to your, your goals and then take advantage of your access to people, your access to Attorney Jones, your access to me. You know, I don't, I, I will, I respond to everyone when they email me or they call. And so take advantage of the people that are around you that have told you that they will help you because they will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.